Welcome to Cross Point Baptist Church this morning. We will allow a few moments for everyone's devices to get uh, synced up and linked up as we are doing church remotely today and only by um, uh, only by Facebook or live streaming, I should say. I um, will give a moment for a lot of devices to get, get going here. <clears throat> I am at church on the stage. Of course, the stage usually has um, a bunch of uh, praise team leaders on it. Um, you don't want me doing that. You don't want that this morning. But we are here on purpose nonetheless. So um, Carla and I are here. And actually, somebody else just showed up, didn't get the memo that we weren't meeting in person. But that's okay. They can uh, uh, join in and watch as well. But we're, as I'm watching the, the count number go up, we're up to 28 devices. So uh, hopefully your families are with you as well. Remember, um, I wanted to meet here like this instead of um, uh, at home um, because we wanted this to remember uh, Sunday morning is more of a worship. And what does that mean? Well, Worship is honoring God, or giving God, I should say, but that's how I've said in the past, honoring God by giving him our focused attention. That's uh, how we define the word worship. There's a lot of other bigger, uh, more exhaustive definitions, but um, that is what we are here to do every time we meet here, especially on Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday nights look differently. It's just a different format. But we want to be a little bit more um, uh, reverential, more rever what am I trying to say? More honoring to God this morning. So um, I, I was thinking about how to start without, you know, because usually we worship through music. We worship uh, several ways we worship. We worship through giving. We worship through the preaching of the word. But I also knew that today would be a little different. And I got to thinking that um, how do we worship? We also worship by caring and loving on each other. So I wanted to take a moment by way of encouragement and worship and tell you about some uh, three conversations that I had uh, just yesterday, last night, in fact. Um, one, yesterday morning, I had it with uh, Charles. Many of you know that Charles Jones is in Christ Hospital with um, medical issues, and he has a lot going on, but um, he... he he, of course, in typical Charles fashion, is always encouraging and kept reiterating that God is good. There he is laying in a hospital bed uh, for a week now and still is saying that God is good. In fact, uh, he wanted me to tell the church that he, um, if anybody wants to break him out, he wanted to go sled riding yesterday. So, uh, but that's Charles. There he is, and it dovetails perfectly with our topic today, but it dove dovetails well with the, the point of honoring God, even when things aren't going our way or the way we think they should. Another conversation I had was with Larry Wheeler last night. Larry uh, has been in the hospital for a week as well, uh, was probably coming home today. Um, so again, without getting into their medical side of things, you know, Larry's voice sounded good and very encouraged that by our church that shows him love and support and um, even by me telling him about Charles saying God is good over and over and wanting to go sled riding, I could tell it, uh, it lifted his spirits. That is worshiping the Lord with your life. 
Let me throw another one in there. Karen Stanhope. I talked with Karen last night and um, again, had uh, some time in the hospital here. She's at home now. But um, just seeing God's providential hand in all of this is a form of worship and recognizing him, giving him our undivided attention. So I wanted us to open that way a little bit. Um, uh, this We had other things planned for this morning. Um, we were uh, originally intended to have a, uh, a brief um, business meeting uh, at the conclusion of the service. Obviously, we're not doing that. And by way of that, I also had a uh, shortened up our, our whole format. So today may, may be a little shorter, uh, may not. Well, we, we shall see. But uh, it is good to uh, be able to meet like this. So 46 devices are, are watching. A lot of, um, a lot of people uh, are, I see you chiming in, uh, names that I haven't heard from in a while either. But it's good to be in contact with each other. And, you know, a couple years, a handful of years ago, uh, yeah, this was a possibility, but being able to meet in person now is, uh, it's more than just doable. Um, it's a viable way of communicating God's word. Let me share this thought with you before we open to John chapter 12. You know, people nowadays, they, um, and Carl and I was just talking about this this morning, that if they want to know something, they don't usually run to their neighbor, run to their co-worker, run to their family even, or even run to their pastor. What they will do is run to Sari. They won't ask Pastor Scott, but they'll ask Sari. They'll uh, go straight to that phone. The point I'm making is don't forget the need for human contact. We need each other. Yes, you can get information through electronically, but there's something very special about life experience. I desire our church, and I want uh, my life, my family's life, to be very, here's the key word, genuine. Now, we can be genuinely bad, and we can be genuinely good, but genuine is just a good word because people can respect and <clears throat> um, learn from each other when we're genuine and not putting on airs for each other. So let us, 46 devices, let's open the Bible this morning to John chapter 12. I'm going to have a word of prayer, make, some, make an introduction here to get us thinking this morning, and then um, really show the application. I'm going to give the answer first today as it relates to applying God's word. But let's first open with a word of prayer. Can we do that? <clears throat> Dear God, we have people all over right now, mainly in Claremont County, but, but beyond that, some are maybe even in Kentucky that are watching this morning. We are grateful the way that you bring us together. And the truth is, we are a needful people. You, you bless us. We give us joy. You give us relationships. You give us tangible things that um, we can get excited about. But Lord, at the end of the day, we're needy people. We need you. So today as we look at, at your word, a question is going to come up and we're going to provide an answer. Your word is going to provide an answer. In fact, Jesus Christ, you are going to provide the answer that will carry us for life and change some people for life starting today. So 
bless the reading of John chapter 12. Holy Spirit, you are invited to our hearts as families are gathered around uh, this morning, maybe in their homes. But I pray that the other distractions that may be going on in the house right now would, would cease, that they would purposefully come together under the reading and the teaching of your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. The question I want to want you to think about um, <clears throat> this morning is this. What keeps you going? What keeps you going? Um, in life, when things come our way, things don't go our way, what keeps you going? When things are going your way, what keeps you going? Now, you may be thinking, well, Pastor Scott, um, my life's going pretty good. What are you referring to? I'm mainly referring to this. What keeps you going, not just in your successes and in life, but in your walk with Christ, in your walk with the Lord, in your attempt to know him, but it also floats over into just what keeps you going from day to day. Now, this message is an encouragement for the believer, and it is also a, 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 a proclamation. That's what we do on Sunday morning. We proclaim the word to the wayward, to those that are searching, that are lost, that, that have questions and can't find the answer, that, that maybe you're wondering, why is life so hard? Does it have to be this hard? And as you let that question kind of uh, permeate in the back of your mind, I want you to think about this next question. Have you ever thought about what kept Christ going as he approached his death on the cross? Have you ever thought about that? What kept him going? You may think, well, he's, he's God in the flesh. He's, he's co-equal with God. He was superhuman. He, he didn't have that the same hang-ups. Ah, you're going to see different in John chapter 12. What kept Cross Point Baptist Church and, and a lot of other uh, local churches and, 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 and even parachurches, what kept these good endeavors going when other people wanted to give up? In fact, a lot of people will give up. In fact, a lot of proclaiming believers will give up on something that God is up to because they can't see the end. So I'm going to encourage you today to not be that person. You tuned in today, 48, 49 devices tuned in today, looking for something. If you were to come into our building this morning, you came here for a reason. You came here looking for something. At the end of this time we spend together, I would rather share and hope to share what you need. You are looking for something. It's a blessed thing when you're looking for one thing, and, but find what you need as an end result. Because what we want and what we're looking for isn't always what we need. Here's the answer. You ready? I'm going to give the answer first. Usually in an inductive message, you build to a certain point, and then you draw the application. Here's the application first. What keeps you going? Glorifying God. Putting a spotlight on God, making his name famous, is the only motivation that carries weight and has lasting fruit. Let me repeat that. Glorifying God is the only motivation that carries weight and has lasting fruit. So turn with me to John chapter 12. Um, my purpose today was to be more uh, direct 
and applicable and not as uh, uh, keyed up like I get on Sunday night. Tonight when we do Facebook at 7 o'clock, it's a little bit more um, relaxed. That's okay. Uh, but in a worship hour, we want to be more direct. Look at what John chapter 12, verse 27. Now we're going to read through 36, not in one shot. I'm just going to do a verse here, verse here, but I'm not, this is not expository. I'm not pulling everything out of every verse. I want you to watch as we answer that question of what keeps you going, what kept Christ going as he approached his death. Now, many of you are hearing that question and saying, what keeps you going? You may think, yeah, my, my motivation for my kids, my life, money, my job, I need, I got to have money to, to, to make it. That's maybe where you're at in life. But there's a lot of people that may be at that point in, in some weird way can relate to Christ. Not that, he, not that you're going to the cross, but that you're seeing life, you're at the end of life. You're getting, life is getting smaller. You're looking more back than you are forward are things that can grab your attention sometimes. So um, uh, what kept Christ going as he approached his death? I don't know if you know this, but the Bible tells us that it is appointed to everyone that we're all going to step off this earth at some point in time. That may scare you. That may scare a lot of people. Other people are not so uh, concerned about it. I know many believers that are like, Lord, come quickly. Let the rapture happen. Uh, those are good things. But we all are going to step off this earth at some point or another. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But I want you to consider... There's, it's really not a an outline, but we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about the um, opposition, meaning um, meaning Satan. And then we're going to talk about people, but all under the question of what keeps us going, what kept Christ going as he approached the cross and his and his death. John chapter twelve, verse twenty seven. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, "Now my soul is troubled." For what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So verse 27 gives us, let me read verse 28 as well. Verse 28 reads, the Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus knew that his hour of death had come. You remember as we're reading through the book of, or studying through the book of John, I should say on Sunday night, there's many times that Jesus would say, my hour has not come. They would want to make him king. They would want to make him uh, the primary focus, the leader. But he would say, my time has not come. It's not the time. This is the time. In fact, if you look in verse 23 of John 12, just hopefully you have your Bibles there uh, in your hands. Uh, but if you look in John 12, verse 23, just a couple verses prior, it says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man might be glorified. Now, this is, an, this is very, very interesting because uh, last Sunday night when we were uh, wrapping up John 8, they were accusing Jesus of self-glorification. And, and he, he made the point back to them that I don't, I don't glorify myself. The Father glorifies me. Here is a, a yet another uh, great example of verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, the, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. God's going to do 
all the glorifying of the sun. And when we think about glorifying, we think of something bright and grandiose, but we're talking about a cross right here. How is that glorious? But he knew that the hour had come in verse 23. And if you look back down on 27, look at what it says. Now my soul is troubled. Well, wait a minute. Why would his soul be troubled? It should be uh, overwhelmed with joy. This is the time for the glorification. This is the time when all this is going to happen. But he's saying he is troubled. Troubled, the word trouble there, it signifies a, a, more than just a, a problem. It signifies an anxiety, a horror. My, that word is so much more than just bothered. I'm, I, I'm bothersome. I'm bothered by this. My soul is now in, in anxiety. It's, it's, in fact, when we know what happens, the closer he got to his death, think about the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, gives us a, a, a fuller picture of what's going on in his heart and in his soul and in his mind. But verse 27 says, now my soul is troubled. Guess what? We have a Savior that we can point to that can say, as the Scripture tells us in Hebrews, that he was in all points tempted like us, yet without sin. The difference is we're tempted, we just tend to sin. He, we have a uh, Savior that can identify, imp, imp, have empathy and sympathy for his children. So in verse 27, it says that he, uh, he, he is troubled. When on, on, on a surface, we should say this should be a, a great moment, he is troubled. Guess what? There is an identification for me, you and I, is that when life happens and we get worrisome and troublesome, by the way, Jesus, the way I understand it, he never worried. We worry. That may be our default sin. We tend to worry. He never worried. He was troubled, but never worried. Because when you worry, you're taking it out of God's hands and putting it back into yours. Well, that would be sin. By the way, if you want a picture of how anxious he would have been, uh, of course, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he became sin. What would that look like? Extremely grotesque to become sin that we can be for the purpose of the cross so we can be made whole. But look what he says. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? The back part of 27 says, Father, save me from this hour. Save me from this hour. God knows all. He is sovereign. Jesus knew exactly the situation. He knew the outcome. So why isn't he joyous and happy? Why, why isn't he comfortable with the situation? Why isn't he doing what makes sense and what makes everybody else appeased? Is there a different way is a thought that comes in the Garden of Gethsemane. It really gets down to comfortable versus conform, conformable. That's what it really gets down to. Do you want to be comfortable, Jesus, or do you want to conform to the will of God the Father? The same thing would apply in my life. It would apply in your life. Do you want to be comfortable? And the answer is yes. 
I do want to be comfortable. We, we would agree with that. Carl and I was just, um, we're in a sanctuary right now where we started putting up some of the purple chairs. We're talking about how heavy they get. And um, if we talked about, Carl said, maybe we could switch the type of chairs. Well, we would lose a lot of comfort in that. And so comf we, we like comfort. But if you're going to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ and have God the Father at the forefront of your life, you're going to need to be conformable more than comfortable. If, it, if it's comfort we seek, then, then you're, you're going to protect your plans. You're going to protect your desires. You're going to protect your own life. Jesus wasn't seeking comfort. What he was about ready to face was not going to be comfortable. I'm in the corner of our stage right now by the thermostat, and I'm pointing to the cross. It's right there. That was not comfortable. In fact, it was a torture device. That's what the cross is all about. He wasn't seeking comfort. He was conforming to what the Father wanted. So, verse 27 ends in a very powerful statement. That very last part of verse 27, he says, But for this purpose, I come to this hour. All the, 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 the centuries of coming down to a certain point in time. All the prophecies being fulfilled at the birth of Christ. Now, it's, it's starting to funnel down from centuries decades to years now he's now he's on the earth and he started his public ministry at age 33 so now it's now you got three years of public ministry it's really getting narrow it's really getting narrow and now he says in verse 27 for this purpose i've come to this hour all that time all that time is very very narrow and he knows it he knows it's time what kept him going but for this purpose. Hey, what's your purpose today? What's your purpose? Now you, you, you fill in the blank there. You, you probably know the right answer. If, we were to, if this was a junior church or a Bible quest, uh, we would say Jesus or Bible is the right answer. But do, do, do as a soul search right now. What is your purpose? Why'd you get out of bed today? What, what, why, why do you do what you do? What is your purpose? Jesus says, but for this purpose, for what purpose? To die on the cross? Yes. To rise again? Yes. We, we know that purpose, but he had a, 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 his purpose was to be conformed to the will of the Father. What's your purpose? Is your purpose to form to the will of the Father? You may think, well, I don't want to do what he wants me to do. It's not about doing as much as being. Be who he wants you to be. Purpose in life is absolutely everything. It's why you do what you do. It's going to be hard, but it's his purpose. This was his secret ambition. Another thing that Carl and I had the opportunity to do this morning because it was so different. Uh, Sunday morning was different for us. We're up here. We got up here about, what, 920, 930 or whatever. And um, we were able to have a conversation. It was good, just spiritual conversation. And I told her, so, you know, we, we probably wouldn't have had this if it was a normal Sunday. It was just different. It was, uh, 
very honest conversation between myself and her in where how we've grown, where we were to where we are, and vice versa, how we look back and go, I think we were doing better here and there than we are right now. Now, that's, being, that's just being honest and genuine. But purpose in life is everything. It's why you do what you do. It's going to be hard at times, but it's no, more, it, it, no greater reward than to know that you're fulfilling the purpose of God, who God wants you to be. It's a victory, and we like winning. So, he, so verse 27 ends, but for this purpose I come to this hour. Look at verse 28. Father, glorify your name. There's the answer. There's the answer. Glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. What does that mean, glorify your name? Now, we, we get it for Jesus Christ, but how does that work in your life? My, how does it work in everyday life of the professing believer, the professing Christian? It, it means that no matter what happens in your daily life, he's up to something. You know, is, is, is everybody that drives up and down 32 a bad driver? Or maybe, maybe it's you. They're not driving the way you want them to. And, and we let that little bitty thing become the thing that doesn't glorify God. It ends up glorifying ourselves. The, the point that we want to grab a hold of here is to glorify him that everything that happens in your life, God knows. God knows about it is the first step. The next step is this. When you glorify him, you recognize that God, not only do you know, I'm trusting you by faith, but there's probably something for me to learn here. He doesn't always take care and fix the problems that are in our life. We need those obstacles. We need those problems to bring us to growth. Let me give an example. January just happened, New Year's resolutions. A lot of people say, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get in shape. And what they do is they eat clean. And then they start working out like crazy. So January 1, you may have eaten absolutely perfectly. You probably put on your shoes and went running and you ran 10 miles. And then you ran home and you got on a scale and nothing changed. Why didn't anything change? Because it was day one. It was day one. But So why do you do it on day two? Why would you do it on day two if you don't see the result on day one? Here's why. Because you believe that if I do this, if I do this, this will be the expected outcome. Why would we not think that in our walk with him, especially knowing that he's in control? When these problems and these situations arise, yes, we have to be discerning. Yes, we follow him through his word. Yes, we, we, we see where uh, uh, his desire, but we trust and we watch and watch for the outcome. It's a blessed, blessed life to know that you're in his will. Verse 28, where he, um, uh, where he says, glorify your name. This, um, it really is an attitude here. It's an obedient attitude that's so strong that it brings a reply from heaven. Jesus says this, Father, glorify your name. And notice this, look what it says. Then a voice from heaven came. So powerful was his words that God replied from heaven. And what's interesting about this 
is that um, this is only one of three times that the Father speaks audibly in Jesus' ministry. We'll touch that again in a moment. It says in, where it says in verse uh, 27 that he was troubled, but he was still focused. Are you with me? He was troubled, but he was still focused. Obedient, wanting to please the Father. Mm, that's a good line right there. He was troubled. He had anxiety. He was agitated. He was terrified. There's, there's horror in that word, and yet he still saved, stayed focused. Always do what's right. God will do what's left. He has a plan and a purpose. So look at this reply in verse 28. Uh, a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will, will glorify it again. Here, uh, here's one time that, that the father replies from heaven. Second time we see this at his baptism in John, earlier in John. And we see the reply from God from heaven at the Mount of Transfiguration that Peter was at. So, um, and God gives a, a, an insurance once again. Look in verse 28. I have both glorified it, my name, through you, and I will glorify it as well. How has he glorified it in the past? Well, in the son's past, in his three years of public ministry, and at his birth, God was glorified. God glorified the name of Jesus Christ, God the Father. And I will glorify you, your name, in the future, at your death, your burial, your resurrection, and all this time. Since, and not to mention what's going to happen in Revelation in the future time. Wouldn't it be encouraging for you to hear God the Father say that to you by name? To say, I am glorified in your past, and I'm going to be glorified in your future. I think our problem is we can see his work, him, him working in our lives and say he did glorify, his name was glorified through me in the past, but we're nervous about our future, perhaps. Well, that was in verse 28. I'm going to read verse 29. We're not going to draw much out of there because I want to get to a, a different point. Verse 29 says, therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it was thunderings. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. So it was neither of those. It was God the Father um, speaking from, uh, from his throne. Verse, uh, then verse 30, Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now that is a loaded verse right there. I want to get to verse 31, but I want to take a moment and talk about verse 30. What just happened there? This voice did not come because of me. Jesus didn't need the reassurance. He didn't need the uh, affirmation or the confirmation of what was about to happen. But it was for their sakes. And by the way, all these years later, it's for our sake. We need those words. We need, and don't overlook theology here. It's vitally important. But don't let theology overweigh your walk. And don't let your walk ignore theology. The two work they're really synonymous at the end of the day. I probably said that incorrectly. So verse 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Verse 31, um, uh, this is a quote 
from John MacArthur. He said, the cross may have appeared to signal Satan's victory over God, but in reality, it marked Satan's defeat. We know this, um, uh, well, we know it in the rest of the New Testament, but consider this. This occurred as Jesus was lifted up. Look in verse 32. Look in verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This could be a reference, and probably is a reference, to the book of Numbers 21 and verse 9. I would encourage you to turn there. Numbers 21, 9. And then um, later, we'll probably turn to Ezekiel, but keep your finger there in John 12. Keep your finger there in John 12. As we look in the book of Numbers, chapter 21 and verse 9. What's interesting about this uh, real live event is that when we were studying uh, in John, it should have been John chapter 7. This is the second time it's mentioned in the book of John that where uh, this storyline of Numbers 21 verse 9. So let me set this up again. Verse John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Consider this, Numbers 21 verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And if you remember when we studied uh, earlier in John, the significance of that, the how important, uh, if they did not look at what God told them to do, they did not look at that, that staff, that pole, they were going to die. Jesus was obviously lifted up, and this is two times in the book of John alone that this story is reference to. You may think, but Pastor Scott, that's a story. Do you really believe that story in numbers? Yes. And I believe in Jesus Christ. Firmly, unashamed. I don't even apologize for that. You think, well, that's as far-fetched. It could be to, uh, to the unregenerated mind. You could look at it as far-fetched. You, you can look at it any way you want, but it doesn't make it any less true. What God says is true is true. I'm going to go with that. But as this, this pole was lifted up and people were looking at it and, and it was life or death. That's a life or death situation. When Christ was lifted up on that cross, it's a life or death situation for him, but also for you spiritually. He was buying back for us. He, he paid our sin on that cross. Dying, he paid for the sin, but the resurrection gave us life. So, um, How does it get to this point to where people can ignore this stuff of the Bible as it's speaking? Um, we think of 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, where it mentions that Satan has blinded their eyes to where they can't see. That's how Satan was defeated and we have life. Some people will not look. They will not see and they will not look. Just a little note here, going back to John chapter 12 and verse 32. Just a little note here. Um, this isn't anybody in our church, but it's food for thought uh, because this teaching is out there. 
When it says, look at verse 32, uh, I will draw all people to myself. The word all peoples, this is not, not um, universal salvation. It is not universal salvation. All people means without distinction. It doesn't matter where you're from, where you're at in the world. It doesn't matter skin color, dialect, how you talk, tone, social status, or money. That's what all people means. It means without distinction. It's not universal salvation. So um, I want to share uh, an illustration here. There is a, a comedian that I, I really like. Michael Jr. is his name. I don't like saying he's a Christian comedian. Uh, he is. But um, anytime you put the disclaimer Christian in front of it, it sounds like you got a you're, I don't know what we're saying when we say that, I guess. But he, he, I want to share this story that I, I heard him of his own testimony. And I got this from an interview that he did with Kirk Cameron um, on a, uh, really on a podcast. It was a YouTube, but it was called um, Takeaways. Takeaways with Kirk Cameron. If you're got, listen, most of you spend more time on your phone than you do on watching TV nowadays. So, uh, look that up on YouTube, Kirk Cameron, Takeaways. But he tells this story, and I've watched it twice because it, it really um, it made me think, and I think it's, it fits here perfectly. Michael Jr. says, if, if you're looking for what God wants, wants you uh, to do, consider this, that at, every, at the end of every what, there's a who. At the end of every what, there's a who. Who should I serve? So no matter what your occupation is, now I, I used, I made up, uh, let's just say, this is just my adding to this. Let's say you're an electrician. You used to love it. Now it became a job. All you see is the headaches, the customers, the problems. You just don't even want to deal with it. But as a believer, you're a believer and you're, you've chosen to be an electrician, consider this. Who should I serve? You will have coworkers. You will have customers. You'll have bankers that, that want something, but give them what they need. They need live, kingdom living. At the end of everything you do, there's a person. Think about that. I don't know if there's an occupation that doesn't have a person attached to it. So no matter what it is, you may think, well, I just want to do my job, keep my head down, do my job, and go home. You could do that, but... You're, you're meant for so much more than that. We're not on this earth just to make some money and, and then die. There is a purpose that we need to be living for. It's kingdom living. It's, it's letting him live out through us and, and using us and being a part of that. Don't let your walk be blinded by evil. We just I mentioned that 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and that's talking about how he's blinded the eyes of the world to where they won't believe. You know, I think sometimes the devil even blinds the believer's sight, maybe our, our, our blind sight, to where we stop walking by faith and we start going back to what we can see, touch, and feel. We In John chapter 12, we got down to verse 32. And verse 33 reads, This he said, signifying but what death he would die. Of course, he's saying that, saying, this is, he's going to be lifted on the cross, referencing them, the hearers. They would remember 
the, the Numbers 21 uh, event that happened of Moses lifting up the pole. He's signifying to them, this is how I'm going to die. Verse 34, the people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Well, verse 34 gets a little heavy. Uh, though the people didn't understand verse 34, uh, you read it plainly, plainly in there. It was time, and it wasn't the time, to discuss the finer points of theology. Why? Because the hour had come. I'm here this morning to ring that bell to the unbeliever and the believer alike. Don't, A, don't put off theology. It's, it, it's, it's, what, it's, it's what, you're, what you believe is what you're going to live out. Don't put off theology. Don't ignore it. And B, the second bigger point I really want to draw attention to is you can, there's going to come a time when you're out of time. There's going to come a time when the hour will come. Christ's hour had went from centuries and thousands of years to hundreds of years and all the way down to, to years, months, days. His hour had come after all that time. There's going to come a time for you like that as well. It's not going to be thousands of years, though. Whatever your time is on this earth, there's going to come a time, and the hour will come. Will it be too late? The hour will come. It's not if it comes. It's going to come. You're going to step off of this earth. We have to stand before God on what you believe. The time for games is over. You got to stand for stand for what you believe. It, it'll show what you believe ultimately will show. That's why it's important to live your life honestly and openly before Him, so that uh, when it starts to show, people will know what's real and genuine, and what's not. It'll show. The hour will come. It's interesting that they say in verse 34 that the people answered, we have heard from the law. Now, the law mainly meant the first five books of the Old Testament, but it includes the whole Old Testament as well. Uh, but the Old Testament did say this about the Messiah in Ezekiel 37, 25. I'm not going to read this verse, but I'll, that's the reference, Ezekiel 37, 25. The Old Testament said the Messiah would live forever. Forever. We see this echoed in Psalm 89. In Psalm 89. The point is that Jesus focused them on him. Look in verse 35 and 36. 35 says, Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Now, just in a handful of weeks or months, we will be doing a deep dive into this very section of John. But consider this for this morning. Jesus focuses them back on him. Back to the answer to the question that I posed. As Jesus approached his death, what kept him going? going? Glorifying God. That's, verses, that's what verses 35 and 36 do exactly. You know, a lot of times when I tell illustrations, 
you, you may wonder where I, where I get them from. One, a lot of times it's, I like to use illustrations right here in the church body known as Cross Point Baptist Church. I want to share one that Brian Reynolds shared with me. He reminded me after me teaching him and maybe all these years, he, he reminded me how really our job as a believer, as a child of God, as a son or daughter of God, we were talking about this and that and how, and I'm kind of whining about how big life can get and entangled up. And he goes, yeah, but your job's still the same. It's to honor God. And I'm going, yeah, but, but, but there's a lot more going on than that. There's a lot more going on, Brian, than you realize. And he said, your job's still the same, to honor God. I remember that day. I can tell you where we were sitting when he said it and the way he said it. And it was uh, convicting and encouraging all at the same time. Let that be an encouragement for you. That's what the Bible says. It's what Brian says. We just reiterated that truth into our life. So... What keeps you going? Everything's upside down. Life stinks right now. Um, I can't do this. We can't do that. I'm sick. There's never enough money at the end of the month. All those things. What keeps you going? Glorifying God is the only motivation that carries weight and has lasting fruit. Remember this about your plight. I'm going to make two points, a couple sub-points, and we'll conclude for this morning. Remember this about your plight. You're not Jesus. You're not him. No matter how hard it is for you, it was still harder for him. He took on sin. He became sin for us. So remember that it's uh, no matter how hard it is for you, he had it harder, yet he obeyed. He totally obeyed. Consider this. You may think, well, Pastor Scott, you don't know my spouse. They make it unbearable. You don't know my job, my kids, my money situation. Yeah, well, he became sin for us. We don't, we, we, our, our, our issues cannot compare to his, what he did for us. His plight, and that's putting it mildly, was much, much harder than ours. Picture, if you will, Jesus listening to your prayer while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane facing the cross. His was much, much harder than ours. Consider this application, number two. One, you're not Jesus. Number two, how can I glorify God when this situation doesn't make sense? It doesn't make sense. God, how, I, can't, I don't even know how to glorify you through this. You trust him and you follow and you watch. And by the way, that's a big, big reason why you need a local church with the LifePoint Bible Study Group leader. They can help you when you can't find your way. I'm speaking to the believer, speaking to the Christian that can't find their way. It's not always the unbeliever that's lost and drifting out there. Many, many times, it's, it's the professing Christian. It's called life. That's a, another reason why you need a Bible-believing church. This situation doesn't make sense. Or this, I want to handle this differently other than God's way. God, you're not fixing my problem. Or this, I just disagree with authority. What I'm driving at is how can you glorify God through all that? You, you watch. 
and you keep living your life before him. He's always up to something in the believer's life. How do I know that? Because he said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's one of Jerry Lindsay's favorite verses. He tells it to me just about every time that I, I talk with him. Last line I'm going to share is this. You glorify God by trusting and obeying, and that's how he works. There's the last line. You glorify God by trusting and obeying. That's how he works. And if you're not a, a follower in Christ today, you're, you're going to struggle anyways. You can apply all these uh, principles that I've talked about, but if there's no faith, it is impossible to please him, the Bible tells us. So that is where we will conclude our uh, Sunday morning worship this, this morning. You know, I mentioned earlier that we worship in many ways. One of the ways that we worship is through our giving. We know the Old Testament teaches giving. We know that the New Testament talks about giving as well. And over the last um, uh, several weeks and months, I should say, uh, our giving has been up and down. If you're new to our tuning in on, on our church or watching on live stream, I don't talk a lot about money at all. It's not what we do. Um, we're not here to build things to win people. We want to, I said that backwards, we, we, we're not after the money. But we do emphasize, especially for the believer, that you uh, uh, give as unto the Lord. So us not meeting today, um, you did not have that opportunity to give. So I would encourage you to next week, uh, if you give in person, you can um, uh, give again this week, next week as well, and online. Again, I don't like talking about money. Um, and I also wanted to make one last little comment here is uh, you heard me mention last week that uh, Eric Throckmorton plowed a lot. He saved us a, a, hang on, he saved us about $400 last week by us not meeting this week because our lot just had too much ice and we didn't have to pay an outside source to plow our lot. There's another four to $500. So we actually saved about $1,000 over the last, the last two weeks. But we do uh, encourage you to give as unto the Lord. So hopefully I will see you tonight uh, as we chime in for our Facebook uh, at 7 o'clock tonight. I'll be at home doing those, uh, doing those things, and we'll be doing our Crosspoint giveaway and all that good stuff. So uh, let's have a brief word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed this morning. Dear God, thank you for loving us and the encouragement of your word. You love us. You love us. We're your children. What father it doesn't cradle his, his child and, and love his, his son and his daughter and wants what's best for them and does what's best for them? Well, we try on an earthly sense, but God, you are a perfect father that knows how to do these things from a genuine heart. We love you and we need you. Bless the efforts of Cross Point Baptist Church as we want to honor and glorify your name. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We will see you tonight.